Hello and welcome to the Business Clubhouse Conversations with me, your host, Ash Taylor. And I'm joined this afternoon with a, by, I'm quite excited about this actually. I'm joined by someone I've known for, I was trying to work this out the other day. I reckon it's close to um, 15 years, 15 years. And I'm, it might be a little bit less, but my maths doesn't work very well when I'm going quickly. But I'm joined today by the lovely Jane Stewart. How are you, Jane? Hi, Ash, and thanks for having me. And I also think it might actually be more than 15 years, scarily. Thanks, mate. <laughs> That's brilliant. I'm trying to think. I joined the Lawn Tennis Association, I believe, in 2005, because that's when I moved to Abingdon. So, yeah, we're bang on. Bang on 15 yeah. years. Yeah, okay. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. I actually thought you joined a little bit earlier than that, so that's my yeah. man. I was around forever. So, okay, so there's a, there's a starting point, okay? So do you want to just let everybody know what, it, what, what do you do now? And then I'm going to take us back to 2015 because I think that would be, be quite interesting. So what is it you do now? Because one of the reasons I've got you in is I think you're doing some really funky, cool stuff, and I, I think people need to know about it. Well, that's really nice of you to say so. So I do um, two main things. I, uh, I own my own business, Mint Decisions, and we specialise in... Uh, providing leadership and personal and professional development for the nonprofit sports sector. And we focus, so that's quite niche, right? Mm -hmm. Nonprofit sports sector. So it's a very small group of organizations that are either membership organizations or charities that use sport as a way to support people or who are responsible for running sport. And so that's all mine. And that's where I started in business. Um, but I also am co-director of something called the World of Work Project which I run with my partner, James Carrier. And we are all about democratizing uh, professional and corporate learning. So we think if you work in a big corporate, you get access to all this amazing information about um, how to be a great leader and a great manager. But we think small and medium-sized enterprises really struggle to access that cost-effectively. So we are trying to find cost-effective ways to involve lots of people in some of the some of the more fancy, clever stuff that um, maybe if you work in a bigger business, traditionally you get access to. Cool. Okay. So let's unpick both of those. Uh, and I think it's a, a neat little segue, that's the word, back to 2015. Because we met at the Lawn Tennis Association and you were a very bullish um, head of competitions, essentially, I think, in your role back then. So you've been involved in sport a long time, I mean, at least 15 years, I'm guessing. So how, how, just take us through that journey of kind of working at the LTA and then what peaked this essentially supporting volunteer organizations that you support? So uh, really, I have been working in sport for far longer than I care to admit. Um, I went to uni and did that, but I didn't really want to be there. I was all right, but what I really wanted to do was work in tennis. And so I was a volunteer back then and I was working back then in my holidays and I was filling my time and I loved it. I organized tennis tournaments and I was really passionate about uh, doing it better, right? That's all mm -hmm. I really cared about, doing it better. And you're right, bullish is a very generous term. <laughs> I, I, was, I was hard work, it was really hard work. And I started, I started and I, I applied at the LTA and oh, I applied four times, got knocked back three times. Wow. Finally got an admin assistant job and worked my way up. And I was fortunate. I had amazing, a couple of amazing bosses who were very unique um, and mm. quite unusual, but mm. also allowed me to try some stuff. And so I was working in tennis when we met. I was very angry. I had been angry for a very long time. I'm at my best when I'm angry but I've learned how to manage it so other people don't have to put up with it um, because I was angry about the quality of experience that people were having in tennis. And so you, I, I think probably some of your, the guys that, and, and girls that listen to your podcast will know that when you're fired up about something, it's so much easier. You're with a prevailing wind, right? So you're just yeah. nailing it. And I was, I was good at what I did. Um, and I worked, I worked so hard. I worked so many hours. I, I pushed everything else out of my life to center my life around work and the relationships I had at work and the things I was doing. But what happened was as my career went on and on, 
I realized more and more what I really cared about is people's experience of work and volunteering. And it sounds a little bit trite, but yes, sport is great and I wouldn't ever knock it. But for me, if you can help someone have a satisfying work life or volunteer, voluntary life, um, I think you do something really special for them. So I became more and more passionate about that. And eventually after moving on to leadership positions in a charity and then in another national governing body, um, I decided to do something a little bit crazy. And I went back to university and I studied organizational psychology and I set up mid decisions after a conversation with you. Mm, I remember I, it. <laughs> you remember? So I would I just move to Edinburgh. So I also moved to Edinburgh and got a dog in all this. Yeah, and yeah. I moved to Edinburgh and I was trying to think, and I knew, I knew no one. I knew no one who ran their own business apart from my dad and he was a dentist and that wasn't going to help. Not quite so the same. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, it's just not right. And also it was the sixties. So I needed to talk to, like, I really felt like I needed to talk to people that like had been through it and understood it. So, uh, yeah. So, and now I, I really, really passionate about the fact that only by not working for any of those organizations can I criticize them in a healthy, supportive way, because I, I don't have to be loyal to anyone. And so I can speak up when I don't think they are necessarily doing as much as they could be for their staff and their volunteers. So that, okay, so that, that's interesting because let's go back. I don't want to go backwards, but let's talk about angry for a minute. And, 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 and specifically what I mean, because you, you've kind of flicked a switch in my head, because when I think, and I don't want to hark on the past, but I do think this is really important because you, you said something uh, very telling. That you, were, you were passionate about giving people the right competitive experiences when they played the game of tennis. And I think it's only looking back on it now that that's probably quite a strong reason why you and I hit it off. Because as a child, I got really frustrated playing tennis that I would, so my experience is quite typically as not a great tennis player would be turn up on a Monday, hang around till four o'clock, play a match, lose, come back Tuesday morning, just in case I got a, you know, a, a reverse waterfall um, opportunity to play, play another match, lose, come back on a Thursday, play my doubles, lose. And that was my week. And, and it, it, unless you were really good and, and, and won, you, you actually didn't get a lot of tennis and therefore you didn't get any opportunity to, to um, experience uh, how to lose well. I didn't get a chance to experience uh, the, the opportunity to learn from losing. I just lost because I, and that sounds really weird, but I didn't get to lose often enough. And one of the things you, you were a real advocate of was um, getting juniors especially to, to have the opportunity to play more competitive tennis and I, and I bring this up because look, this is a this is a business podcast but I do bring this up because I talk a lot about the similarities between sport and and, and, and business and I don't think business owners put themselves in the crucible often enough where they get to experience losing more often because failure is part of winning you know, failure is part of succeeding. And I suspect that if I'd been able to play 15, 20, 30 matches in two, three days and learn from those losses, I'd have learned how to win much quicker, much, much quicker. And I think that's, that's the kind of message you were trying to get, to get across. And it, I, I guess my question to you is, do you see that now amongst the leaders that you work with amongst the, the the big businesses that you're sorry the small and medium-sized businesses is part of what you're trying to shape giving those smaller businesses the opportunity to learn from the failures that others have made so it's really interesting you mentioned that because i've literally just come off a seminar so we do um we do uh seminars for uh lunchtime seminars online at the moment. And um, we've just come, I've literally just now ago come off one. And one of the things that I've been talking about is the role of structure. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so I would say there are two things that I try and talk about quite a lot that I've taken from my tennis world. One is around, so one of my passions when I was in tennis was understanding the power and the way in which a structure of a competition influences the child. 
or the individual, right? So if I, everyone thinks round robins, which is where everyone plays everyone is great. It's not great yeah. if you've got the seed in it and the weakest kid, because it means everyone's going to have to play the weakest kid and the seed, right? Yeah. It, it's, it's, a, it's a, sounds nuanced, but it's really important to understand your structure. And so I took that. And then the second thing was about fail, fail often. Don't treat mm -hmm. it as failure. Yeah. And oh, I was so trying, there's so many books out there about it, but if you only learn when you fail, or you only learn when you succeed, but not as much as you thought you could succeed. Yes. You need those boundaries, I feel, around your success to understand where to push next. And so there's two things really important around that. One is around failure and the other around is, is having a structure to the way you fail and the way you try, such that you can be quite meticulous in the way you adjust it. So if you think about a tennis stroke, and I know this isn't a tennis podcast, if you serve a hundred times, right, you make infinitesimal adjustments to the way you're holding the racket as you're trying to understand what your coach is telling you and you're trying to adjust yeah. now if you can't remember which things you've tried and which things you haven't you end up repeating the same mistakes mm -hmm. so i spend a lot of time uh, with some of the leaders talking about audit trails yeah. it sounds really dull right but how do you capture all the ideas your business is having and record which ones you've tried and why you they, they didn't work such mm -hmm. that if your context changes so maybe it didn't work because you didn't have a big enough client base yeah. and then your client base becomes bigger or you can go back and try that again. Cause what happens is organizations hang on to the narrative. They hang on to the story they tell themselves. Yeah. So what happens is, Oh, that didn't work for us. I'm never going to do that again because we're not that sort of business. And they shut off this whole area because what they haven't done is they haven't tried things out in a structured way. So they haven't said, right, we're going to try these five things. And these are all to do with, I don't know, the way we communicate with our customers or our members in quite a lot of the organization I speak. And we're going to tick them off and we'll try one each month. And if they don't work, then we'll make a note of why they didn't work and we'll try something different. Mm -hmm. And so that, that structure, I think, is really important. And that I definitely took from sport because the thing I learned from sport is that the, depending on how you organize people or you organize your thoughts, that's when you get the gold, right? When yes. you've actually got a way of like, so I was just, the reason I was asking, um, we were talking earlier just before we came on about you were talking about how you've structured the way you're moving forward at the moment with 10 mm -hmm. things each day. Yeah. That's a structure that allows you to hang your thoughts and your progress on something. So I think that's really powerful. And I think it's great to fail, but it's useless failing if you're not recording somewhere, either in your head or on paper or on your laptop or amongst your staff, unless you're recording what you failed at, what you tried, what was different, what didn't work, what might have worked, what people think could try again then you're just failing for failing's sake, right? And, and it's, it's fascinating because you're articulating a lot of what goes on in my head, but in, in a totally different way to how I would express it. And uh, one of the things that has jumped out at me there is that by following a process and having a structure for failure, because that's fundamentally what you're saying, and none of us are advocating failure. What we're doing is we're advocating uh, the, the, the process of failure being something that can improve your chances for success as long as you record it and you learn from it. But the other thing that I think it does is it depersonalizes it. Because people, when you don't record it, it becomes not that that failed or what we tried there failed or that process failed. It becomes I failed it becomes we failed and I think that's a very very different um, attitude to one where you're actually looking actively to set up a process where you can test failure does that, does that make sense I think that, that, it does uh, I would go one step further than that <laughs> As you can tell, we're recording this on Zoom, which is great. <laughs> Sorry about that. So okay. as, well, the thing I would say is actually, it's not, it's not a failure at all. It's an utter success of testing something. Yes. And that's, that's what I try and I try and talk to people about. And it sounds a bit like IT techie, but if you can get through a system, if you can set up a systemic or a, a structured way of testing, then you can tick them off. Mm. right we know that doesn't work tick we've learned something correct tick we've, yeah. learned something. Tick, we've learned something and the problem is failure is dis is totally disheartening when you're not learning from it or building 
Yeah, and I don't um, think people put enough. It's, it's a fascinating subject. I really don't think people, especially smaller businesses, especially if you work on your own, um, they don't put that structure in place. They don't put the process in place to tick off the testing. They just try something once and go, well, that didn't work. I failed. I'm a failure. Let's yeah. move on to the next thing. And, and you're right about the depersonalization as well, right? Because then it becomes a task, not an idea that you're testing. And I think that's true. And I think it's, I mean, it's easy for me to say this, but it's, it's been a horror show of learning, right? Mm -hmm. So starting your own business is an absolute horror show of having to confront all of your fundamental psychological weaknesses. So everything about putting yourself out there and then failing and, and having to admit you tried something and it didn't work, all of that stuff is, mm. is happening. But I think for me, um, the things that really came out of my understanding of that period where we first met was this, the, and I, you, you mentioned it there about the anger, the need, I have such an overwhelming need to see a problem in order to be motivated, right? I need to see a problem that I think I can help solve or help improve. So that really matters. And then the structure and then the acknowledgement of constant trialing and just mm. constant. And I think one of the really happy things I always think, always think is when, um, and it happens, it happens every client I work with at some point, I get a message or I get a text or I get an email afterwards and it's something about how they failed horrendously and they're so excited because they now know what they're going <laughs> to do or they now know that's not going to work or they feel liberated. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, you're there. You're there. But it's an interesting... Um, it's an interesting concept. I'm trying to work out what I'm about to say is relevant. I think it is. Just go with me. Um, I had a conversation with my VA, Hannah, before this, who will probably listen to this. So, hey, Hannah. Um, in fact, I know she'll listen to this because she'll do all the follow-up and everything on it. Uh, and it's interesting. We had, we had a conversation yeah, three weeks ago where she, she basically sent me a Slack message saying, you might want to sit down when you get your invoice this month. And I was like, why? And she said, well, because I've done quite a lot of hours and it's, it's quite a big invoice. It's bigger than we've, you, you've had from me normally. And I was like, okay. And when I got the invoice, it was significantly bigger than previous months. And I just smiled. And, um, and I sent, you know, I, I replied and I said, right, it's all set up for payment. Thanks very much. It was great opening it. It was really excited. And she said, I don't think anybody has ever been excited and happy about having a large invoice from me. And I said, yeah, but you've got to think about what that means. It means that you've done more hours this month and those hours that you've done have enabled me, has freed me up, given me time and more importantly, created more time in the organization. So within our business to be able to deliver more stuff. So if I've got a 40 hour week uh, available to me and, and Hannah's done, you know, an extra 10 hours that week, it's suddenly we've increased our um, productivity, our deliverability by, by um, 20%, which is, which is a, a huge amount. And, but most people would think of it the other way. Most people will go, Oh my God, the business is the, 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 the invoice is really big. But the way I think about it is, well, this is fantastic because we're doing more. And I know, I know it's not completely relevant to the whole failure thing, but it's about how you approach the structures you put in place in order to leverage them as best as you can, rather than just seeing it as a cost, because failure is seen as a cost. It is. And it's, it's really interesting you mentioned that, because one of the things I talk a lot about, and I, I have two clients in particular who are probably bored of hearing about it from me, but it took a while for me to figure out how best to make it resonate with them in their careers. And one of the things we talk a lot about is when we're talking about goal setting, and KPIs, so key performance indicators versus goals, mm -hmm. and the difference between the two, and how do you choose key performance indicators that don't accidentally then hamper you because you become more obsessed with the performance indicator than the actual goal. goal. Yeah. And I talk quite a lot about input management versus output management. Yeah. And um, I feel quite passionately frustrated by it because I feel like, um, and it comes from a place where I feel like organizations that fund charities try to measure them on their plan and yeah. what the effort is they put in, but they also yeah. try to measure them on what comes out. And I don't think that's a fair game. And I don't think businesses should either. Either you trust your strategy and you're testing it and you measure yourself on input. So for you, that would be the number of hours you and Hannah are putting into the business and then trusting the strategy's right. 
and then giving the outputs time to come. Yes. Or measure yourself on output and stop judging your inputs, but don't do both because you it's can't. not fair and it doesn't no. work. Yeah. Because um, then what you do is you just end up beating yourself up that the conversion, effectively the conversion rate of the hours to the output, or in this case, hours to profit or hours to number mm -hmm. of tennis players you get, isn't what you hoped for. Well, you, strategy is a guesswork, right? It's a really educated guesswork strategy. So of course you don't know that. What's far better is to celebrate the input and the effort. And this is why I get mad about tennis players obsessing about talent, right? Talent's helpful. Effort is everything. Effort is if, everything. If, if, talent, if, talent is even, if, if talent is even a thing, Okay. Oh, so, well, let's not go there. <laughs> so you and I, talent's not a thing. You and yeah, I both think talent's yeah. not a thing. Um, how, physical predisposition for sport or a mental predisposition for academics is true. Helps. Talent, talent's a word we no. use. We don't really know. We've, what we've both lost count of the number of. I'm doing quote marks above my head, but nobody can see that. We've both lost, uh, you know, count of the number of talented players. We both could name several, I'm sure, who blew it because they just didn't put the effort in. And the funny thing is, uh, yeah, and the, my frustration is they were, to me, they were never, if talented is the same as potential, which I think a lot of people accidentally do, yeah. and it's not, but that's what they do, yeah. um, then they weren't potential because they didn't have the right mental skills and they weren't working towards building them. So you can yeah. build any set of skills, right? It's about effort, motive, intent, all of those things. And deliberate, so me, deliberate practice. Deli oh, I go on about deliberate practice. All the time. <laughs> um, I know I'm so boring. Um, but for but boring me, is, but Jane, let's, let's pause you there for a moment because uh, the other thing that Hannah gets a little, we have this ongoing joke that she says to me, well, you just get me, you, you, you use me to do all the boring stuff in your business. And I'm like, yeah, because you don't find it boring, but I do. And actually you can't build a business unless the boring stuff gets done. You can't produce a tennis player unless you're prepared to hit 150, 200, forehands cross court every single day at a hoop and only walk off when you've hit 20 of them. And, and you, you have to put the foundations in place. You have to do the boring stuff. But most entrepreneurs, most business owners get excited by the shiny stuff, by the output stuff, by the, you know, the things that are going to, what they call quantum leaps, not necessarily understanding that quantum is a infinitesimal, I can't say that word, a tiny, tiny jump, as opposed to a huge jump, okay, because it's at the atomic level. So when I, I would say that if you're being called boring, that's a massive compliment and one that you should take in that way, because it's right. I just, I also think you have to, I think you have to judge yourself on what you can control, right? and you can control your input and you can control your effort yeah. and you can control your motivation. You know, it's hard sometimes, but you can. You can't control how markets are gonna behave always. You can't control how your beneficiaries, you can try and predict and you can get better and better at that. But you don't hold yourself accountable for something that ultimately you couldn't have been predicted or you maybe got a little calculation wrong around predicting what would happen. Hold yourself accountable if you didn't do the work or if you didn't do all the things that people suggested you could do to get it achieved, it's much easier. And since, since I shifted to that myself, so I measure myself only on my inputs now. Mm -hmm. So I measure myself on the number of tasks. Yeah. And like you were talking about your 10, 10 tasks. So mm -hmm. I measure myself on things like, I don't measure myself on the number of billable hours. That's how I started. Right. Because I wanted to check I could scale and I stopped worrying about all that stuff. And what I started worrying much more about is, um, you know, making a list always having like i spend at least two hours every week just brainstorming ideas around social media marketing because i hate it so that's mm -hmm. my effort right i it's really hard for me i don't like it i'm not very good at it but i do it i do it every week because i'm getting better and so for me that's my massive like wow pat on the back you know people are like oh you did a great seminar and you wrote really great content i'm like yeah that's easy i love that that's you can do thing. that bit. yeah yeah. So it's like you say about doing the, the boring stuff as well. You know, if you can, if you can count up all of your effort around that and eventually when you can afford to get someone else to do it, brilliant. But until you can, I think, um, recognizing that that is something to be celebrated and, and centering your rewards around that stuff versus the stuff you enjoy and celebrating the sort of stuff that you find hard is, is so much, so much more helpful. Yeah. I think, and it's true because we take for granted the stuff that we can do. 
and dismiss it as just well I can do that but actually there have been thousands of hours and learning and pain and sleepless nights and training and investment in order for us to be able to do the things that we can do well you know your ability to deliver what you deliver in your business is based on thousands and thousands of hours of coaching leading teams uh, developing products pushing people um you know being angry being bullish and it, and it's culminated in you know it's culminated in a jane that's able to do certain things in 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 you know in the in the work environment in your delivery environment that to a degree it'd be very easy to take for granted uh, and it, it it always it always reminds me of um and I, I know i've said this before but the the whole picasso story i don't know if, if you know that where he's he's in a French cafe, depending on which story you hear, French Italian cafe, and he's doodling on a napkin, and a waitress comes up to him and says, "Oh, can I, I can I have that?" So he hands it over to her, holds on to it, and you know, you know, articulates a, a ridiculous amount of money for this doodle on a napkin. And she said, "Well, that's ridiculous. It only took you thirty seconds." And he said, "No, it didn't. It took me thirty years." And I, you know, in, and people people forget that everything that you're able to do now and you take for granted is the sum of everything that you've done before and that's where the value is and yeah, you dismiss it's, it it's really hard as well because i think so i work predominantly with what are often called soft skills which i hate as a phrase i would call either behavioral skills or um uh workplace skills mm -hmm. um and so people they they want it they really want it when they're struggling right but they struggle they, they, because it doesn't have uh, because it's not like medicine, quite rightly, or accounting or marketing. Mm. Um, they think, oh, if I can just read an article on the Internet and I'll learn how to do it. And I think and I totally, you know, brilliant. And I'll sign I'll signpost them all day and all week. But what I love is I love the fact that when people do invest their time and energy in it, and they start doing the work and they start putting the effort in. And I say to them, it'll come, right? So I've, I've worked with some people particularly with listening issues. So leaders who really aren't great at listening to their team and giving them space to think. Little, little, little bit micromanaging sometimes. We've, um, we've known a couple like that. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> they, they one think, right? And it's hard. It's small and yeah. medium size, especially. You've lived it all yourself. Yeah. Of course you don't want to trust anyone else. How hard is that to do? My baby. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, the, I keep, you know, I will just, I will keep on and on. If you keep trying, you will get better. If you keep trying, just show me you're trying and we'll talk about how you can improve every time. And then you see the breakthroughs come and you're like, look, you're never going to be the best at this. You don't need to be the best at this. You just need to be not terrible. And so and let's get you uh, terrible. But also it's not about just being the best. because We come back to the deliberate practice, but it's just about being better. And if you can just be 1% better than you were yesterday and, and, and deliberately work towards that, well, what does 1% better look like? You know, well, I, I listened without interrupting for 30 seconds. Well, can I make it 35 seconds? <laughs> can I make it 40 seconds? Because that's better than what I was yesterday. Because what is best? I remember you saying to me two years ago, three years ago now when I started my business, three years ago, frightening. Um, I remember you saying to me, I said to you, but what, what if, what if I'm no good at this? Something like that. What if it's all, all a mess and a disaster and I make a mess of it? And you can't, you said something like, well, but you're not going to be very good at it to start with because you're starting and that's okay. But if you're already good at it, why would you do it? Because you'd already know how to do it and you wouldn't want to learn anything. And I was like, and I think you might've even used the immortal word journey. <laughs> Ooh, I didn't. And you need to go on a journey to look, to build your experience and credibility to be able to do it. Yeah. And I was, I remember thinking at that point, yeah, yeah, that is, that is literally every, every lesson I've learned in, in work in my life is that to have the confidence in yourself and for other people to believe in your credibility, you have to have lived that journey. And so you have to go through the painful process and you have to go through mm. the failed trials and you have to go through that getting it wrong and calculating wrong and all of that, because that's when you know you come out and you understand the stakes that you're playing for so is, is your looking looking back i guess to that conversation is your business where you expected thought figured it would be today 
compared to when you, you know, the vision you had at that point? Um, I would, I would argue it's not even the same business. Um, well, there you go. Say. Yeah. Uh, I'm not even doing, so I think there's, there's probably two things to that. One is I went back to university um, and therefore uh, this world has been opened up to me of both theory and practice that I just didn't know about and that I'm mm -hmm. desperate to give people access to because I think it's so helpful. Um, and so that's changed and focused a lot of what I wanted to do. But also um, I, I would argue that right now my business is probably financially at the moment not where I wanted it to be because I've gone hard on doing the stuff I want to do. So I started saying no about nine months ago to the work that I can be better paid for short yeah. term. Yeah. So the, the day rate strategy stuff for organizations where I come in and help them fix stuff. I started saying no to that about six, eight months ago. Mm -hmm. um, and that has financially in the short term, probably not been particularly lucrative this year, but I don't care because that's not, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going back to work. That's my plan. If I do go back to work, it'll be on my terms with an organization that I choose and it won't be full time. Mm -hmm. So um, what I want to do is do what I'm doing now and find ways to make it lucrative enough to build a healthy, happy life for me and for anyone I'm working with. That's it. So uh, I'm going to take a hit for a couple of years and we're doing all right, but it's not where it would be so easy to be a straight, straight up consultant, right? That's not what I want to do. What I want to do is help loads and loads of people have a better work life. And I'm only going to be able to do that if I can find ways to scale it. So at the moment, we're investing in research, testing, failing, lots of failing. Yeah. Um, because that's what, that's what I want to do. And that's a joy, right? Deciding, having that um, autonomy over what I choose to invest my time and energy in and me being able to choose what that financial kickback or delay and gratification such that I can research, that's, that's a joy for me. You can't hit a tennis ball without pulling your arm backwards first no and at some point you're probably going to build up the chances of getting repressive strain on one part of your body or more right but you're also going to have stronger muscles yeah you know so, it's life's about choices of course it is and all you're doing at the moment is just loading you know it's 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 it, you're just loading and and, and getting talk ready about, yeah. we talk about building all the time that's yeah. we are uh, we are and you panic right you have months where you panic totally yeah. and you're of course yeah. You try something and, and you, you think, oh, I'm not sure this is the right solution. Are we going to get where we need to be? But we, that's why having a plan and having structure is so important. So both, especially for the World of Work project, which is a much smaller project that we're growing, right? We made a decision way back and we check in on that decision every month. But every month we have to remind ourselves, this was the plan. We are absolutely on target for where we want to be for our plan stop getting distracted with whether we feel good about ourselves or not right now mm. because we you know only fell four times and and the way you reach that target can be fluid because a plan yeah the only thing that i think it's worth planning for is the fact that the plan is going to change it's it, it it's just it's just not possible you and i both stepped out on a tennis court going right well this is how i'm going to execute the strategy and the first ball's hit and you're going shit that was a little bit harder than i expected <laughs> and you have to change and you have to flex and and the same is with business and i and i think you know i look back on my own business and i, and I think this is this is very uh this is very key because i have a business that is completely different to the one that i set out to achieve or thought i might have five years ago it is it is better it's helping more people i'm more fulfilled it, you know i'm much happier you know, we talked about happiness um, before and on, on the call. And a lot, a lot of that has been created by the choices I've made and the type of work that I choose to do. I mean, you, you know, um, you, you'd be one of the first to say, <laughs> head of competition, that as a tennis player, I wasn't brilliant, but I could coach. And my joy was working with players who were not great. You know, my, my, my happy place was with three-year-olds who couldn't hit a ball, beginner adults, all the rest of it. Not the performance lads. You know, not, not, not the guys who could hit it 100 miles an hour. That, that doesn't interest me. And with all due respect, the vast majority of people that I work with now are in, in the same position. They're not three years old, but they're, and they're not necessarily stepping out in, at the beginning of their journey, but they are at a level where they're getting the ball over the net 
and it's a bit inconsistent and they need help to start to move the ball around and learn how to win and that that gives me great joy because there are far more of them than there are the, the performance businesses if you like and and you you've got to you've got to be in a space where you're happy. You've got to be in a space where you feel you're making a difference. But if I'd stuck to my plan and I'd stuck to the, the intent that I had, I think I'd be unhappy. I'd probably be making a lot more money, uh, but I'd be unhappy. And I have to say this to clients all the time. You, 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 you can't, you can't try stuff in with the fear of it failing you've got to go into stuff knowing that it might fail and accepting that and look at what you might learn from that and then be prepared to shift the move and go off in another direction because if, you, if you're too rigid that way lies unhappiness and permanent failure yeah and i think i think there's two really important things that i think this just made me think of one is when i was working in tennis people used to ask me why british tennis didn't have like champion because I was pre Andy Murray and uh, there's I could go into like a very detailed breakdown I'm not going to I'm going to tell you one thing which is that if you want to be the best in tennis you are going to have to choose tennis at the age of eight nine ten and that makes you very single focused mm -hmm. right and quite boring yeah. right very 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 boring <laughs> just like in business if you want to be the number one in the world at something absolutely i can give you some advice on how to do it and then i'd probably pass you on to someone else yes but you will probably be quite single singularly existenced for a while right yeah. that's not who i am it's not what i want and i don't think it's good for people and mm. therefore i don't encourage people that way i encourage people to find how work should exist for their lives such that they can have a fulfilling Correct. Life. And, and, it, and that might be high performance for them and that's great, but mm. it has to work in their context. And the other thing I want to just come up on is around this, this piece that you were just talking about um, around like trying stuff. So I have a not the bucket list, right? And I love my not the bucket list. My not the bucket list is a list of things I've written down that at some point I'd like to have a bash at, right? So I had on that list 10 years ago, I'd like to own my own business. Never said I wanted to end with that, end my life like that, or end my working life like that. It just said I'd love to have a bash at having it at some point. Yeah. I'd like to have a bash at writing a book sometime. I'd like to yeah. have a bash at owning a dog and doing up a house. And, and the idea is, it's a maybe list. It's not a, I must get this done before the end of my life. No. It's a, if the chance arises, I'll have a crack. Yes. I thought that has, the, the difference it has made to my life in knowing so that when the opportunity, so when the opportunity arises, so the re original reason I started my business is my boss didn't want me to leave. I was moving to Edinburgh and he was a lovely man. And he said, go back to uni and I'll give you, I'll give you a starting contract for a consultancy. Why don't you go out on your own? And I remember literally opening my not the bucket list and staring. And it was, I mean, it was in the same color as everything else, but it felt like it was flashing red in my face. <laughs> right. And it said, be your own business owner. And I just remember staring at it and thinking, I can't say no. If someone's going to give me an opportunity to do one of these things and I've got a situation where I can have a bash, why wouldn't I? Yeah. And it makes it so much easier to make big, take big risks if you're only thinking about having a go. So it's almost like having a list of things you don't want to have regretted trying. No, it's a thing of things I don't want to have regretted not trying. Not trying. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Yes. yes. No, no, exactly. Right. But the idea was I was never attached to the idea the business would be a success or running a successful business or being like highly rich from it. Or, you know, it was just, I'd like to know what it's like to run a business because I feel like that's an opportunity in life that I would like to have experienced. So that, that you've used that word a couple of times now. And what was going through my head there is at the very beginning of this conversation, you talked about you know, 15 years ago, or when you started the LTA, maybe a little bit before that, that your, your frustration and your anger about the experience that players were having. So do you think that is, uh, did that form who you are now? Or was that part of who you were before? Because you've, you, what you've basically talked about is not that I want to run a successful business, not that I want to have a business that makes X amount of money, blah, blah, blah. You've talked about, I want to experience what it's like to have my own business. I want to experience what it's like to go back to university. I want to experience what it's like to do up a house. I want to experience what it's like to be a dog owner. So what, what came, what came first? I, I'm, I'm, I think I'm that's curious. A great, I think that's a great question. 
I think that's a really great question. Um, and I don't, I don't have what I know to be the answer, but I can, I can hypothesize. Um, and I would say that, uh, oh, it's dangerous stuff. Oh, the lots of things I think always come back to um, your formative, sort of your formative years, right? So obviously biology will tell you that your first three years are the most expensive, most important and, and shape your character. And the most expensive, and the most you're expensive. right. <laughs> but I think that there are a number of things that happen as you're transitioning between sort of primary school and adulthood that formulate how you see the world. Mm -hmm. And for me, um, one of the things I always struggled with when I was younger was I was a bit overly empathetic, right? So I used to get really upset about like, I don't know, charity commercials on telly. I would cry reading books. Like I would be, I would be inconsolable if I read a sad book or saw a sad film. My mum would be like, right, you can't watch it. This is just ridiculous. So it's not nightmares. It was, it was sad. No, sad and, and, <laughs> and I was always so, like I, my worry was always when I was sort of younger, even into my teen years, like how other people would be feeling. Like if I, and actually for a long time, it, it was really badly affected my behavior in some senses, because I would not challenge people on stuff. And I would accept things in situations because I didn't want to hurt people's feelings or I didn't want them to feel mm -hmm. badly. And so there has always been a part of me that has been, had an over, overdeveloped sense of concern for other people. And I don't say this is a signal or something. It's, it, no. it was actually not particularly helpful. Um, but what somewhere along the way, spending 10 years volunteering and working in sport before I was 25, because I was volunteering all the way through my teenage years, I, I used to feel so desperate. So the kids you talk about, the kids you were that turned up at the tournament on that Monday and then on that Tuesday, they were the kids when I was running tournaments. And I was only 17 or 18 when I, when I was yeah. running my own tournaments. They were the kids that my heart was breaking for. So when I was going home every night, I was thinking, what was the format of the competition I could do to change that experience? Could I get them involved in helping? Well, no, I can't do that because they'll then think that they're rubbish at tennis and I can't say that. Can I create a different kind of consolation event? Can I run a second tournament somewhere else that they could go to for free? And I was always trying to think about how to improve that. So I think that's where it comes from. Um, and then as you get older and you start working, you look around you and you just see how miserable people are at work. And, and then you, not, you suddenly realise at that point or at some point that you do have the power to make choices and decisions in the workplace that can change those experiences, both for yourself and for other people. I think I wasn't a great boss for a while as well. And I think that helped. I, I, I'm sad to say that because that's a hard thing to say for other people who worked with me. But there were definitely a couple of periods in my life where I had become so obsessively focused about work that it wasn't very easy to work for me. And I think when I came out the other end, I realized I would, A, never wanted to make those mistakes again, but also that I could help people avoid them. It's interesting you say that because I don't think I ever directly reported to you, but you were responsible for an area of the business that was key, you know, one of three KPIs that we had at that time and all i all i remember from that time and meetings with you and um you know conflabs at the mtc around how we were going to change stuff was intensity you know if i if i had to kind of wrap it up in one word you were so you 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 had no time for people who were not on the journey with you i was all. earnest so earnest. earnest yeah you I were still am a bit earnest I know that but I'm okay with it now I was so earnest I was ridiculously intense and it took me uh I was worse than that in my next job I would say in terms of my intensity and you know I wore that like a badge of honor and I'm not mm. proud of that part I'm proud of the passion and the energy and the way that I help people do far more than they could ever think they could do but I'm not proud of the fact that if you weren't like that I probably, I definitely privately judged you at that point. Mm -hmm. And I probably didn't make it as easy for you or for someone to be like able to be comfortable with work just being work. And I guess, I guess that part of what I'm doing now is some kind of redemption against that. Well, yeah, you, you haven't brought that into, you haven't brought that into the growth of your, of your business. You haven't taken that intensity with you. No, I've, and actually I've, I've, I'm very careful 
now much more careful about it. And I, I guess that's why I've had to make choices and be comfortable about what level of growth mm. we have and stuff like that and what I have for my personal for my decisions. Because I, I it it's just not it's not the best way of living your life in my view. I think there are people who can do it for a period of time and that's great. But fundamentally a for me a well rounded life is more important. And I, I think that's a luxury when you work in an industry and you have the skills that you can afford to pay your bills. But if you can, then I think having a well-rounded life is really important. Well, but you know, I'm a big advocate of building a business that, you know, um, helps you live a fulfilling lifestyle rather than compromising your lifestyle for your business. It's uh, really, that's really important to me. I mean, I'm, I'm, I've made choices that have led me to a phenomenally happy place and, and I'm, you know, in a, in a, very fortunate I think but that fortune has come from choices and and I could have made and I did for a while make different choices you know most people listening to this will have heard the um I, I told the story I think it was a couple of weeks ago or a couple of episodes ago with a little interlude about Josie throwing my phone in the bush and you know uh, a number of comments on that but that's who I was I had that intensity I had that single-minded focus uh, to the expense of everything else and, and when you've got all these elements of your life, you know, when you've got your health, you've got your fitness, you've got family, you've got social elements, you've got the business, you've got finance, you, you, it's very difficult to keep them all in balance. But it's very easy to allow one of those things to completely overwhelm the rest. Yeah. And, and I think the challenge is being aware that in order to kind of look back on what you've achieved and who you've helped and how you've impacted people, that you need to have a roundness to that and, and be, be, it's not about being balanced. It's about being aware that there is a balancing act going on and to never keep an eye, um, never stop keeping an eye on those different elements of your, that make up your life. I think that's true. And I, I would also just add one caveat, which is you always have to know which, which are the true priorities, right? Yes. Which are the things that will not suffer on your watch? Yeah. Right. So, I, uh, my personal circumstances changed significantly uh, about six years ago, seven years ago now. Um, uh, a confirmed single person, no longer a single person, um, had not expected that. And the, the, the journey that I had to go on to understand that every choice that I would have to make if the chips were down would protect that over everything else. Mm was was quite hard for someone who was work obsessed um but also it it was it was like an instant weight came off the minute you get really clear on your priorities in life the minute you become absolutely laser focused about what really matters to you not to everyone else just to you the minute you stop caring what anyone else thinks about those priorities like you care about what they think of your execution because that's helpful but sure. you stop caring about what they think about your priorities because you get super clear and you also, it becomes so much easier to make decisions. Yes. It becomes so much easier. And I, so I think for me that that need to be absolutely super clear why you're doing what you're doing and what, what the end goal is in terms of your whole, your wider life, your whole holistic is just money can't buy you that clarity, right? No. It's the effort and time and thinking that it takes and really it sounds really trite but it's the self-awareness and getting to know yourself and people people don't invest enough time in getting to know themselves no they Ge don't generally they don't no they don't and it's it's there's there's so much going on partly our lives are too busy our lives are too busy for the majority of us we feel we are being stretched to expectation particularly if we have children or other mm -hmm. responsibilities we're expected to do more than we need to be doing um but also it's really scary you know i i've seen and worked with people who have gone through relationship breakups they've left industries they've gone back to uni they've they've, they've had to confront that what their life is is not fulfilling the needs that they have and that might be different 10 years on and I don't, I don't specialize at all in life coaching. I, I really tend to focus predominantly on career and executive leadership, but quite often out of that, because to be a good leader and to be a good manager, you need to have self-awareness. And then what happens is we go on this journey and then <laughs> these kind of branches come off it where people start to go, hang on, I, I need to question this a bit more. Yes. And I think that, I think that's, that's very relevant because I, I always say to people, 
um, you know, a lot of people call me a business coach and I kind of hate that term because I've never coached a business in my life in the same way I never coached a tennis ball or a tennis racket in my life, but the player holding the racket and hitting the ball. And it's the same, you know, it's the same principle. It's about the business owner and the journey they're going on and how, how, how their behaviors and the choices that they make and the values that they have and the, their ability to challenge themselves and make sure that the, those decisions that they are making and the values that they have are congruent with the life that they want. And, and it does veer off sometimes into a bit lifey coachy thing, <laughs> but it's, it's not because ultimately what we're trying to do is help them, you know, overcome fears and, and make decisions that benefit the business and therefore them, but there has to be an anchor. There has to be a reason for that business to be um, pushed and molded and shaped so that people benefit because it's about people it is and i think one of the hardest things is encouraging them that they have to look behind the other door so um I, I was talking to someone the other day who works in a small small charity that they set up and i was like we had a whole conversation about what's what's behind the other door what, what happens if you just walk away mm. And and you can see like you lit, it's a visceral reaction on the on, on the screen at the moment because I'm in Scotland. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's a visceral reaction of I don't want to look there. I don't want to see what that's like because I'm scared I want it, or yeah. I'm scared I don't want it, or I'm scared it's not possible. And I think I think that um, that ability to be really to to every day you have to choose this. That's the way I think about it. Every mm -hmm. day you have to choose these priorities. And if you wouldn't, if you would change them one day, that's fine. We all have bad days. But if you get, if you rack up too many days where the priorities you're putting in place do not reflect what you would choose that morning, you probably need to have a, a bit of a think. Good long hard look. Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 in a right in the middle of a sort of probably a three day run of my priorities. I uh, have fallen by the wayside a little bit because of other reasons, but I am consciously aware that it's happening and not allowing it to slide. But I think a lot of people suddenly look back and go, Oh my God, I've lost a month. You know, or I, I've done my behaviors have changed so much because I've allowed other priorities to pull me around. And that's led me to make decisions that actually have not put me in a good place. It's being conscious of it. It's about actually actively recognizing that those decisions you're making are, you know that they're conscious not just happening to you without question living a oh, it sounds i mean this is going to sound like hollywood hollywood holistic right <laughs> but living a truly conscious life particularly a working life is really tiring but it's really good for you yes so it's it's much harder work but you will have you will find much less um friction between your work and personal life if you're living a conscious work life because you will be much more comfortable in it. Although it will be harder work to keep it conscious. If you, it's when, it's when we drift, it's like relationships, right? It's when we let them drift and just become something that's not changing and not growing and not evolving. That's when we all start to look around and go, I'm not sure I'm into this anymore. Yeah. Um, and I think we get scared of looking behind that door sometimes. So this conversation, like all the ones that I have, didn't go anywhere near where I thought it might be <laughs> a little bit like my business and yours. Um, and so the, the kind of last, and it's been brilliant talking to you and we, we should chat more often, but the kind of place where I'd like to take you now, just to sort of round this off is um, you've gone on this journey of experiencing what it's like to um, be a business owner and, and to have your own business and you're, you're I, I feel like you're not at the end of that experience yet and you're, you're enjoying it and you've got lots left to do which is great because you're clearly having an impact on the people that you're that you're working with and, and, and benefiting them but if you if you could go and I asked if of all my guests if you could go back to like the, the day before you made that decision to step out and set up that business and you've touched on this uh, a little bit already in terms of you know, the, the, the not bucket list. But, you know, if, if you could go back and have 30 seconds with yourself just before you're kind of going to open the door or, you know, buy that domain name, whatever it is, what, 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 because <laughs> you remember that moment, you know, or design the logo on a lapkin and sell it for as much as Picasso. But what, what, you know, what, what were the things you would say to yourself before signing on that dotted line and taking that first step, knowing what you know now? That's a, that is such 
It's such a good question and it's a really hard question. I would say I definitely am still on that journey, but then I would also argue I'd like to be on this journey forever. I don't ever see this end point. But I think that's, there's two things. Um, one is you're going to say to yourself in a couple of months time, say no to work you don't want to do. Stick to it and don't wake a year and a half to, to then in, in make that decision. So I, I said that day, day, 30 I said I don't want to be doing these things and yet for a year and a half because I loved my clients I said yes to them and I said yeah yeah no that's fine I'll do it I like it and it was safe money and it was easy and it was good money and it was organized and it was structured and it was for six months and yeah. you know so I, I would say stick to it and don't waste a, a year year and a half of being really angry with yourself because that's boring I was really mad with myself I was at two in the morning doing work I hate not very good at blah 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 so do that and then um, the other thing I would say is keep a diary. So for the first six months, I didn't keep a diary. And what I mean by that, some people call it journaling. I, I don't know. I'm not American, so I struggle with that word. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't like that word either. <laughs> but I do, I do, I write down the, not, not the clients, the tasks I've loved. So I keep a record of the stuff I've really loved because I really believe in the whole idea of, getting rid of not necessarily the boring stuff, but the stuff you don't like doing, like you said, yeah. right? Yeah. So I want to know, I want to be able to look someone in the eye when I am scalable enough that I can take on more than just a bit of a VA, but actually take on someone. And that's my dream. I, if I'm passionate about giving people a positive work experience, then my dream is that I can actually give someone employment. That's like, sure. when it's in a good place. Yeah. But I want to be able to look someone in the eye and say, I know the stuff I love. I know that exactly I can show you the stuff I love and that's the stuff I'm keeping for myself. Because if that's not the reward for owning your own business and controlling your own business, why are we doing it? Yeah, mm. I can see that because I get challenged by some of my clients have been challenging me recently about, you know, can you self see yourself taking on other coaches? And, you know, and, and a, a bit of me can, but there's stuff I would definitely never let go of because there's just stuff I do in the business on the delivery side that I absolutely love. I mean, you, you talked, you know, bef before we came on, you asked me how many blogs I've written this, you know, the last three months or whatever. And I told you the number and your face was like, Oh my God, but I really enjoy writing so that, you know, yes, there, I, I outsource a lot of my writing. So we've produced a hell of a lot more content than that, but there are, there are core bits when I'm in the mood that I just love doing. And I don't, I don't want to feel like I can't do those things. Because, you know, when you're inspired to write, I want to write. And, and when I sit down in front of clients, you know, after this, I've got, I've got a call this evening with probably, I don't know, eight, nine business owners. And we'll have, we'll have a beer or a glass of wine. And it's, yes, it's all on Zoom. But there, there will be a conversation that will affect change in one person, at least. And I don't ever want to not have the choice to be able to do that. Because it's really powerful and it fulfills me. So, that, that that's part of the decision I've made. I think that my business will always involve me doing some delivery because. And, and people that, will always tell you how you need to run your business. Right. Yeah. And actually all you need to do is run your business for you and yes. you know, for your clients. Yeah. And so for example, I am available to my clients more probably than most coaches would say like on text or I, I, I interact with them in a different way. Mm. I'm okay with that. I like it. Stop yeah. telling me that I'm not meant to be doing no. it because like you're meant to have these good boundaries. Okay. Well, if I've got, if it, if it ever becomes stressful for me, fine. But this is for me, this work is personal. Yes. So I get I, that. I mean, I, I've had, I've got, I've had clients at my house and we've done round tables there and all the rest of it. And I totally get that. And, and, and if it's right for you and for that particular client, great. And as long as you've got the right boundaries and you're clear yeah. on but it's that idea that somehow it all has to be transactional and by the hour and they only get what they're given and all of this. And I just, mm. I'm just not into it. No. So I'd rather have a lifetime relationship with someone's career and they come back to me and dip in and out, depending on how things are going, than, you know, I see them for three months and it's all, you know. Well, it, it comes back kind of full circle, I guess, to tennis coaches charging by the hour and then, never going to watch their players at tournaments oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> because either they feel that oh well that well you'll have to pay me three hours because it's half an hour there and i'm going to stay for two hours and half an hour back rather than looking at the holistic 
view of it that how much are they going to learn about their own coaching and their players abilities and all the rest of it <laughs> but also how can you spend two three hours a week with an individual person and then not want to see how it goes when they try out what you've taught them in in the arena literally <laughs> how can you not want to i can't it baffles me it's just crazy that you wouldn't, I mean, I understand if they've got other clients, they have to, and they're like, oh, I might be able to go have to slip aside and see 15 minutes. But how can you not want to? It's just yes. so, so weird. Very odd. <laughs> Let's not go down there, Jane. <laughs> no, 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 we've moved on from that. That's another black hole. Brilliant. Look, it was uh, lovely to talk to you. If um, people want to come in, we'll put your details, obviously, on the, on the, in the bio and the kind of description of the podcast and i don't know what that bit's called but if uh people want to connect with you um they've got a team um you know they maybe want you to come in and talk leadership and all that sort of stuff what what's the best way to connect with jane so the best way to connect with me is either if you want to do it in a public place on twitter because i love me some twitter and it's really easy it's at janie underscore s so j-a-n-i-e underscore s um, if they want to talk to me about work, then middecisions.com and you can book a call straight in with me and we can have a chat. And Brilliant. I'm, uh, you know, I'm pretty easy. Just if you want to, I'm always interested in people's problems and challenges. So I always like to uh, help people think things through. Poke the bear. <laughs> I might read, I might make that my new strap line. <laughs> I, well, actually, one of my clients last year, it was last year, said you should build your website around poke the bear because that's what you do to us. And every time you leave, we go, oh. Fucking old, don't, 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 but he's right. <laughs> so that noise you just made, yeah. I love that noise. That's it's like a great noise. Favorite noise from a client ever. Great, Telling me what I know, but I don't want to deal with. Yeah, we haven't lost the audio. We're both just going. <laughs> You're right. Thank you, Jane. That was super. Oh, absolute pleasure. I'm not going to do that.